grace. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, Mark 1. If you have your Bible apps, same difference, or it's going to be on the screen. All's good here. I want to get Bibles here soon. We can pass them out. Um, If you do have a Bible at home, I encourage you to bring it just because sometimes we'll refer to things that are not quite uh, in the in the direct uh, uh, text in front of us, which which is fun to be able to, to draw from that. But welcome, week three. This is exciting. I hope you guys can join us for uh, a lunch afterwards. Looking forward to that while the weather's still holding. It's it's good to take advantage of it right across the street. This this wonderful park. Uh, let me read, and uh, and we'll, we'll get into this. So this is Jesus picking up from where we were last week. As soon as they left the synagogue, that is Jesus and the disciples, they went to James and John. Uh, with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. Now, there is an article in the New York Times that I remember, even though it was written four years ago. Now, if there's an article that sticks with you for four years, I mean, that's saying something. I I don't usually remember uh, what I read in the news. But this one was called uh, The Busy Trap, The Busy Trap written by Tim Kreider. And in it, he says this, if you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing. Busy, so busy, crazy busy. It is, pretty obviously, a boast disguised as a complaint. And the stock response is a kind of congratulation. That's a good problem to have, or better than the opposite. I wonder how many of us asked each other today, how are you doing? We said, busy. Uh, if, if I wasn't preaching this sermon today, I would have answered that question today, busy. <laughs> I just knew I was going to be up here saying this. So I, you know, I had this in my mind. Uh, It's just the classic go-to response. And what he goes on to say in this article is actually, for Americans, by and large, this busyness is mainly like our own doing. We kind of bring it on ourselves. It's like voluntarily. We don't have to bring the work home that we do uh, on a daily basis that makes us busy, but we just do it anyways. Or we don't have to pile on our schedules the way that we do, but we do it anyways. That's most America, but let's give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in this culture. Okay, this is the Silicon Valley. Let's say that, okay, we are busy, which I tend to think so. I mean, the housing prices, it's hard to be lazy and live in the Silicon Valley with the housing prices so high, with the competition in the workforce so fierce. Uh, So we're busy, okay? What happens when we're busy? Uh, Things get cut, don't they? And often they're very important things that we cut out. Or we neglect to put into our lives that are probably healthy and good for us to do. Well, what Jesus models for us here in this text is something too important to cut out or too important not to consider to have a part of our life is prayer. Now, if you're here today and you 
you are convinced that prayer has the power to be answered, and it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing, it's something that's effective. I wonder if you're like me in that when you get busy, it's one of the first things to go. Or if you're here today and you're unconvinced about the power of prayer, the, the, the cause and effect, supernatural part of this thing, and you're just, I don't know if I buy that, I don't know if... I, First of all, I'd say to you that the Bible teaches that, and it's wonderful. Talk to a Christian friend of yours to understand how how beautiful and powerful that is. But I would mainly say to you that that's actually not this passage. That's not this text. Because what we see here is Jesus modeling the power of prayer, but we don't see even his words that he prayed. So So what we're looking at today is not Jesus prayed this, and he answered this prayer, therefore pray. That's not this message. And yet there's a power in prayer that he models for us to consider. And so I want to look at that with you today. Uh, so let, let's get into this, and uh, we'll, we'll start here in verse 32 and make this uh, pretty straightforward observation, and that is Jesus was busy. Uh, the evening, that evening, verse 32, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered where Jesus was, and he, he was healing them. Uh, I know, I've heard many times, I've even read, that the Silicon Valley is predominantly introverted. Did you know this? I've actually heard it's so high as three-quarters of us are introverted. I'm, I'm actually extroverted, if you haven't been able to tell from some of the sermons. Uh, but most of us here are introverted, which means, you know, could you imagine a whole town coming up to you, like sardines? Like, how's it going? Uh, I have a buddy who's very introverted, and anytime we go to a party or something like that, He's really stressed out before he's even entered the door when he knows all he's going to be doing at that party is sitting in the corner and probably talking to one or two people. But could you imagine that party if everybody looked at him and said, hey, friend, small talk, small t- weather. How's the weather? What are your plans this week? I mean, I know some of you in this room. I know how introverted you are, and I can already feel your blood pressure rising even with this illustration. Look, Jesus was so busy. And what's fascinating to me, too, and I, I didn't read this here when we're making this point, but you would hope that the disciples, these guys who were with him, would help shield him from it, like a good, you know, executive assistant or whatever, but they just make it worse. Peter, that si- Simon in this story, by the way, is Peter. He's one of the disciples. His mother-in-law is sick, and he said, hey, we got an opening, Jesus. We got an opening. Hey, can you help out with Mrs. Mom? I've been kind of in the doghouse lately. I need you to do a healing. Can you do Okay, probably didn't go like that. But he's just adding to this, and I don't care if you're introverted. Even if you're extroverted, Jesus was being spent physically. He was healing folks who came to him. He was spent emotionally. He was dealing with people's needs into the night, and he was spent spiritually, uh, even this idea of casting out demons. Body, mind, heart, and soul, he was pouring himself out. One high-level thought that I have as I read this text, as I really like, kind of soak this in, is it is, man, easy for me to whine about how busy I am. Because here is Jesus, busier than probably I'm ever, and yet he's doing it with such a joyful, cheerful, sacrificial attitude. And what he models for us is in the midst of this, he carves out time to pray. Now, why does he do that? Let's, let's see here. Uh, in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Prayer was just a top priority to him. I mean, what do you get up early in the morning to do? Uh, I imagine some of you, like me, are saying, David, you suggest, uh, you're suggesting that I do anything early in the morning other than sleep. Uh, that's kind of funny. I still play the game with my kids. 
people who are two and four right now, they go to sleep later than I wish they would, they wake up earlier than I wish they would, and they come to my bedside, and it's just like, you know it's not going to work, but I was like, hey, let's play the game, please. Like, you guys just stand there, and let's see who can be quiet the longest. Well, daddy keeps his eyes closed. It never works, obviously, but you can't help but try. Um, and it's, it's just, we're, what do you do early in the morning? Maybe you exercise. The rest of us hate you. That's what you do. I know good for you. We do what is important to us, what is of utmost important to us. That is what we do. And Jesus was saying very early, before the day even began, he carved out time to pray. Uh, it, was just a, it was just important to it, uh, him. Uh, we know uh, there's been a lot of data out, a lot of surveys, if you read up on this, that CEOs, uh, virtually all of them, I mean, just, just, just so many of them, when you, when you look at them, as a cross-dissection toward, uh, compared to the rest of America, so many of them get up really early in the morning to get on the day before it happens. The whole early bird gets the worm. What has been interesting, I'm reading this book, uh, Organized for Success, uh, Stephanie Winston. There's, this, there's been this growing trend among CEOs, CXOs, of not just getting up to take out email, not just getting up to like get to that to-do list, but actually pausing and just taking in the day, reflecting, pondering, even praying. I've said this a couple of times, but if, if there was ever one who was effective with his time, we're obsessed as a culture of maximizing what little time we have. Are we not? If there was someone who was effective with his time, was able to do so much with so little, it's Jesus. Another way of putting it, we put it in our culture terms, like keys to success, Jesus says, he, he models for us, you, ha- you, gotta, you gotta get away, you gotta take a break, rest, more specifically, to pray and to seek God. Um, so to get practical about this, you know, it's, it's, you know, it said he went off to a solitary place. The wording actually there is he, he went off into the wilderness. That might be a little harder for us in the Silicon Valley. We're a little bit further out. Um, but the point is he got away from the noise and distractions. He got unplugged. I was at this... Um, I was at this uh, preaching seminar, this just question and answer uh, time with uh, a group of pastors. And one of the pastors up in San Francisco, a guy I respect, was kind of talking. His, his name is Dave Lomas with Reality Life Chapel there. And he was sharing. He's like, you know, I feel like in preaching we've kind of lost a little bit of the art of the prophetic part of preaching. And everybody's like, what does that mean? Is that kind of creepy? Like, how do you he's, – he's talking about speaking into the culture. You know, like we need to be able to speak into the culture, not just like observe and he was asked to give an example, and I thought, okay, he's gonna, what's he going to say here? And he pulled out his phone. He's like, for instance, we need to learn. We need to speak into our churches and say, learn to use the do not disturb button. Like, that's what he said. I was like, wow. He said, because these things are taking over our lives. He's like, we need to learn to use the do not disturb button so we can focus on the things that really matter. Just unplug for them from time to time. And uh, one of the, an older gentleman was kind of leading the um, – the Q&A time. He said, why don't you just suggest that you turn off the phone? And Dave just started laughing. He's like, because we don't, we don't even know the on-off button exists for all that we're concerned. I mean, w- nobody's going to turn it off, but there's hope that we might use the do not disturb button. And I thought that was just so interesting. It's just we need to ha- carve out time, remove distractions, and spend time in prayer, talking with God, um, getting away from it all. It doesn't have to be in the morning, by the way. This passage, I like to say, is more prescriptive, excuse me, descriptive than prescriptive. 
He's, it's not saying Jesus went, o- went away every morning at such and such time, and you should do it too. No, he just is modeling for us. Now, there's strategic value to going early in the morning that we can figure out. Uh, it doesn't have to be every single day. It say, you know, that's not there too. But just finding times to carve out uh, to, to be in prayer. Uh, because the most successful person, efficient person in the world was able to do this. And if you're his follower, well, it's something he models that you can't touch. Why else is prayer important? Uh, it's because Je- it kept Jesus grounded. Uh, I love Peter in the text. Uh, verse 36 and then into uh, 37. Simon, again, that's Peter, and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. Now, what do you think Peter was saying underneath it all when he said everyone was looking for you? Uh, it seems pretty clear to me. It seems to me what he was saying to Jesus is, Jesus, this thing is taking off. It's going really well. You know, people are following you. You got the whole town showing up at your doorstep. You got the clout. You got the power. You got the influence. You got the fame. We got to get back there. And what does Jesus say? Let's go somewhere else. What would you and I be tempted to say? Well, I'll speak for myself. Let's go bask in that. <laughs> that would be cool. Hey, they want to make me king? All right. Jesus said, let us go somewhere else. He was grounded. Prayer helped keep him grounded. Now, how did this happen? We, we can only infer it because we don't know what he prayed, but we have plenty of prayers recorded. And how did he start virtually every single one of those prayers? We'll look at them as we get through the book of Mark. How did he start virtually every one of those prayers? With this word, Father. In Mark 14, he said, he, he cry out, Abba, Father, which is the language he was using back then, uh, Aramaic. He's just saying, Dada, like this intimate relationship, Father. When the disciples came up to him and said, how are we supposed to pray? Teach us to pray. He said, okay, you want to learn how to pray? Start this way. Our Father who art in heaven. Before you ever get to the give us this day our daily bread, before you ever get to, hey, I've got these needs and these blessings. By the way, Jesus says those are important, those are good, those are right. He says, start with this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just your name is above all names. You're where we get our worth and value. Prayer has a way of orienting our lives around the unconditional love we have in God. We talked about the good news last week, Mark 1, 15. Jesus came preaching the good news. We even see it here. He's, we've got to go and, and continue to preach this good news. The good news is that we can find our ultimate worth and value in him, not in the things that are happening in life. And so we can be grounded in that and not in these things, which, by the way, you know what I love about this text? Jesus finds himself grounded in his father when things are going well. When do you and I, by the way, wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, even if you might not believe in God, maybe you do, when do you and I reach out to God the most? When things aren't going so well. God, help me. If you're even there, help me. You know, I'm getting ready to die here, figuratively or literally. This is, these are the times we cry out to him. We'll pray to him. We'll set up. Jesus is saying, he's modeling here. You got to be doing it in the successful times too. Why? Because we can let the successful things go to our head. We've got to be grounded. And by the way, these successful things, they can let you down. 
or in the hard times, they can go to our hearts in terms of despair. Praying reminds us, if we start with the words Father even, it reminds us not of who we are, but whose we are. And that we can find our value, this unconditional love that we have in God for what he's done for us and not anything we can do. So we need to be going to him, almost actually, especially in the good times. Because if you're like me, that's actually a harder time to be about that. So it was a top priority of Jesus. It grounded him, and then, and then prayer helped keep him focused. In verse 30, 37 to 38, again, Simon exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Prayer kept Jesus focused. He had everything going for him. The ministry was going well. People were being healed. Uh, you know, sicknesses were being, you know, driven out. Converts won, presumably. And yet he's like, we got to keep moving. It's not good enough to stay here. we got to keep moving. Uh, because I have come to share the good news. I have come to meet physical and emotional needs. But just as much, if not more so, I've come to meet spiritual needs. And that is helping people understand God the Father's love through what God the Son has done. And I would just say, we talked about this a little bit last week, that from the day one, when God calls us to be his followers, he's saying, hey, and make, from the very beginning, letting help, uh, helping others know my love for them, just from the get-go. And what can drown that out? Busyness. Busyness can drown out are helping others know about God's love. It's so easy to become more concerned about that project deadline or, you know, that report that we got to get done than the person sitting next to us in our cubicle or sitting across from us at lunch. But prayer underneath the noise and distraction has a way of helping us keep focus on the important things of life, uh, even when other things can can distract us from us to see the bigger picture of what God is doing around us and and inviting us into the opportunity of, of joining him in that in the physical emotional and the spiritual needs now look is this easy to do no we're busy right we're busy uh, but the bottom line here is the good news in Jesus the gospel I think 